Hey Buddha Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show, where we invite e-commerce entrepreneurs, marketers, and agencies to talk about e-commerce, the best strategies and tactics, and what to implement in your own e-com store. Before we jump into this episode, I ask you to subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our uh, e-commerce podcast. And today I'm here with Deshaun Russell, and she's the founder of uh, Southern Elegance uh, Candles. And uh, today we will talk about her niche and her story with uh, this business and also why she scaled down this business, which is very interesting that uh, she shared with me when we talked for the first time. So all of these topics today. Hey, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Yeah, doing great. Thanks. So we have some time difference because she's in North Carolina while I'm in Europe. Uh, so it's early morning for you or something like that? It's about lunchtime. It's noon. It's noon here. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about your story. Is this your first business or, or not the first one that you started? So this actually is my very first business um, and nobody else in my family has a business. And I thought it would be a nice little hobby. So it started literally as a side hustle. So I was just making candles. I wasn't even making candles. I was making soaps, body butters and sugar scrubs. And then I added candles as an additional product. And so I was making all of these things on the side. And then I started selling at local farmers markets, fairs, festivals, and stuff like that. And then I decided to go full time. So I started this literally with two pots in my kitchen and grew it to a whole, you know, manufacturing space. We're in about a um, 4,000 square foot manufacturing space right now. So over the course of about three years, we went from, you know, inception to doing several million a year. Wow. So you started this before COVID or just at the time of COVID when it started? I started it in 2016. And so COVID hit wow. in 2019. Yeah. And how did it affect you and your business? So when COVID first hit, we ended up having to shut down because initially nobody knew what to do with COVID. So we didn't know if we were going to be able to go out. We didn't know if we were going to be able to work. We didn't know anything. So initially I did have to shut down the entire business because of COVID, but because everybody was sitting at home, everybody was also shopping online. And so I was slowly able to bring everyone back and then hire people. So we ended up the first maybe six months doing maybe two or 300,000 in sales. And then the last six months doing over a million. And so people were just sitting at home buying and it helped that I went viral on multiple platforms. I went viral on one, the company went viral on another. So we just had a lot of um, eyes on both the company and myself. Yeah, and uh, that's a great uh, growth story. I mean, many business owners, they, they don't hit the seven figure range, you know, in such a short period of time. So as a first time founder, I think that's, that's amazing. And you are the only founder, right? Yes. 
Yeah. Um, so what uh, channels did you use and, and what do you think why you could grow to this uh, scale? So we mainly, at that time, we mainly were using Facebook and Instagram. That is it. Like, I, I tell everybody, just find your primary and your secondary social media sources and just use that. And so those were our primary visibility platforms. And then, of course, we use Google, you know, but it's not quite the same as a Facebook or an Instagram, especially when you're running ads on those spaces and um, email marketing. So we did a combination of all of those things um, in the beginning. But being on those social media platforms and running those paid ads on those platforms really got us the visibility that we needed. Yeah. So um, mostly Facebook, Instagram. Did you try TikTok or maybe organic influencer marketing or any other channels or you don't you didn't even touch those? OK, so in 2016, um, we were not on TikTok. TikTok wasn't even like on our radar, but we were doing um, influencer marketing. And I have a love-hate relationship with influencer marketing. I think for some brands and for us, it can be uh, very lucrative. And especially um, when it's getting your brand out in front of people. But when we sat down and did a deep dive into how much time and energy we were actually spending managing the influencer marketing program, sending out free product, following up with them, including the discount that we give um, them, um, either in terms of free product or residual sales as um, affiliates, um, we just decided that it really wasn't worth worth. And in some cases, we were actually losing money working with affiliates in the traditional way because we had a platform that we paid to be on that helped manage the affiliates. So we had to pay the platform, pay the affiliates, pay the percentage. And then I had to basically pay an employee to like stay on top of it to make sure that we were getting all of the assets that we were, um, you know, promised by the affiliates. And so in the end, you know, it was kind of a break even type of thing, even though we had the visibility of all of these people putting the products out, out on the market. But it just got to a point where we had to say, is this program really worth it? And it was not. Yeah. And uh, one more thing is that I can see that, you know, many times you pay influencers and they they post about your products and all of that, but they are either not the right fit for your audience and your product, and you realize it after the fact, after you pay them all of that, or even worse, the post that they put out is just not good, you know? So uh, there are tricky influencers, actually. Mm -hmm. They don't behave as you, as you want. Um, yeah. I think we have a lot of misconceptions about running a business just because everybody always talks about the glory and nobody ever talks about the guts. And so when everybody's putting out information, it's making everything seem like it's amazing all the time. So you will see people that say, all you have to do is find some influencers, send them product, and then your brand will be in front of everybody and you will make money. 
when the reality is, it's a much more complicated process than that. And the quality of whatever you're working with, it could be third-party logistics, it could be third-party manufacturing, it could be third-party shipping. The quality is going to vary vastly between, you know, people. And so you have to just be very careful about how you move your brand forward because you will spend a lot of time spinning your wheels in places that really are not a good fit for your brand or your company. Yeah. How much time did you spend with this affiliate program? We just got you... we just got rid of it this year. So I spent 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 and 22 working with affiliates. Oh wow. Yeah. So it wasn't like after three months, six months, you shut it down. You really. Mm -mm. It wasn't until I really did a deep dive into it last year. It was really in 21 that I did a deep dive and I was looking at the numbers like, is this program really worth it? And then mm -hmm. we were kind of like, well, maybe if we revamp it, it'll still possibly be worth it. That was in 21 when I think we had the first iOS update or the privacy thing kicked in. So we trying, yeah, it was 21. So we were still trying to figure out a way to work with influencers that would still make it worth it. But the reach of most um, influencers was diminished. So you, they may have 100,000 followers, but all you had to do was look on TikTok to see, or not TikTok, but to look on Instagram to see less than, you know, sometimes only a tenth of their followers were actually seeing the product and then you know what realistically what was a realistic percentage of people that were going to buy out of that small number that already saw them so we tried to revamp it but at the end of the day it just was not worth it because everyone's reach was severely limited yeah 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 that was a crazy uh change back then it still affects us. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely still affecting a lot of brands. And I think that um, it's, it, it had ripple effects that I don't think, or maybe, I'm not sure. It had ripple effects that a lot of people were not anticipating. And so I remember the first time when Facebook made a wholesale change to the algorithm and a lot of businesses just went out of businesses because they yeah. changed the reach. So that occurred probably around 2014, 2015 timeframe. And so the second time around, we thought that somehow or another, it was going to be a little bit different because it wasn't just the platform that was changing, you know, but the iOS privacy update had very long reaching effects across all of the platforms, all of the ads, all of social media, everything. And so I don't think a lot of people were prepared for the severe limit in reach and the severe um, reduction in revenue that was gonna that occurred as a result of it. Yeah, yeah. And after that, you had to look for other uh, marketing channels, or or what happened after? So after the iOS update, we relied heavily on new customer acquisition. So, well, actually, we, we did a, a multitude of things. And there are really, I mean, like everybody knows, there are really only three ways to make more money with an e-commerce business. More customers, 
the frequency, the frequency in which your customers buy or increasing the average order value. And so we really try to do all three. So we try to acquire new customers, but the customer acquisition costs literally skyrocketed. So that was not really a viable long-term solution just because it was just cost prohibitive. So what we did was we created bundles to increase our average order value. And we relied heavily on email marketing to get our current customers to come back. We varied set sizes. We got rid of low performing products. Um, and then we did like monthly specials and we did limited editions. So we did a lot of things so that we had enough um, variety and interest and um, just information that we can you know, email our, our current customers about, hey, have you seen our latest bundle? Or, hey, this is the bundle of the week. Or, you know, have you seen our product of the month? You know, so we just had a lot of different things that we did. But we really tried to increase our order value via bundles and relied heavily on email marketing to get those people to come back and buy more and more. Yeah. Yeah. So this effort was successful all in all. You could increase the average order value? We did increase the average order value. We also increased the number of times that people purchased from us. Mm-hmm. But because the new customer acquisition was so high, it almost kind of balanced everything out. Mm-hmm. So when you like, again, like, I don't think people really do a deep dive into the numbers. And so we had to kind of really say, which efforts are bringing us the most revenue you know and so that was another reason that i kind of scaled back the company we were also working we had some major um corporate accounts in addition to um our direct to consumer we had some smaller wholesale accounts and then we had a partnership with a major tv station mm-hmm. the corporate accounts people a lot of times people don't talk about corporate accounts but they squeeze you on the margins so you're already at half because it's a corporate account. And then a lot of times they want the best pricing that they can possibly get. So the margins on our corporate accounts were tight, but they were consistent. And then we were, like I said, had a partnership with a major TV show that we had appearances on three or four times a year. But again, the margins were incredibly tight on those types of um, appearances because, again, they want the best deal possible for them and their customers. And so what ended up happening is when I did, again, a deep dive into the numbers and I looked at exactly how much time and energy we were putting into both the corporate accounts and these TV appearances, I was just kind of like, is it really worth it to maintain the number of people that were required for that? And I was like, if I get rid of the people and the headache and the appearance and the corporate accounts, I would still at the end of the day make about the same amount of money going direct to consumer using our email marketing and our social media channels. So one of the reasons that the company retracted is because I really had to say which one of these things are profitable, which one of these things have long-term viability and like what is really the purpose of this company. And so when I did all of that, a lot of the things that we were doing were just vanity metrics and were not making us enough money to actually justify keeping those programs in place. 
Hey Budai Nation, welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. Yeah, I think this uh, happens with many, many businesses. It happened with me as well, with my agency as well over the years that at the beginning you just want to grow and increase revenue and after a while, especially when you work so much uh, and even if revenue increases, your profit doesn't or maybe even it, you know, it even shrinks, right? Um, then you start thinking, okay, so what drives the profit, not just the revenue and, and uh, yeah, what yeah, what takes too much time that it shouldn't, or we shouldn't, we, we should even remove that thing. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a turning point for many entrepreneurs. Um, what were those vanity metrics, by the way? Can you tell us a few? Of course. Or, or maybe a few that others, you can see <laughs> others tracking them. Yes, it's the vanity metrics that every coach contacts you and says, do you are you would you like five figure months you know so you say oh, of course i want a five figure month because if you have a five figure month that means you're having a six figure year and a lot of companies never get to six figure years so the first thing was the five figure month and then it was oh i want a six figure month and then we had six figure months and then i was like hey i wonder if we could do half a million can we do half a million in a month can we do a million in a month you know what i'm saying so we were like really chasing those types of numbers that's the first number the second number is and this is revenue you know and a lot of times when you're chasing revenue you're not paying attention to profit you're just chasing the is that's why it's called vanity it makes you feel good but it's like eating ice cream it's not going to sustain you and in the long run it's going to be very detrimental to the overall health of the company so that was the first vanity metric we were chasing. The second one was um, social media followers. How many social media followers yeah. did we have on each one of the, uh, the platforms and what was our reach? Um, then it was, we were, how many uh, major newspaper articles have written stories about us? Which major papers can we get in? How many times can we be on national TV? You know, and we were on national TV with stories written about us three or four times a year. So we were chasing all of these things. But at the end of how many corporate accounts can we get in? You know, I can say that we are in this particular department store, you know, or we're in this many number stores across the country. So a lot of it was just, you know, Things that made me feel good to be able to say it, the number of employees, you know. So it felt really good to be able to say, oh, we're in over a thousand stores nationwide. But it was a corporate account and I was making one dollar per candle, you know, after all was said and done. And I'm like, all of this time and energy. And this is the this is the money that I made. This is this. You know, this barely is worth it. It really wasn't worth it. So and then, you you, you know, people don't even talk about buybacks and the fees that you get. So there's a lot with corporate accounts. And in some cases, we weren't even really making any money. We were just able to say, oh, we are in this store. 
So a lot of the vanity metrics, we, we checked all of the boxes. We were one of the fastest growing companies with ink on the East Coast. You know what I'm saying? As a black female business owner, there are not a lot of us doing multiple um, seven figures a year. So all of the vanity metrics, I have checked every single box pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, I, I agree with this. For me, the biggest one was number of employees besides revenue versus profit. Um, but you know what I do, the agency business, it relies on people even more than e-commerce. And I can see so many guys that we, our team is 60 people. Our team is 100 people. And all right. And how much you make as a founder or owner. And uh, yeah, that's an interesting conversation. Um, Let's talk about email. So you mentioned email a few times and uh, that's my favorite channel. So how do you use email? How did it help you? So luckily for us, we had a email list of about 50,000. Mm -hmm. And so it was easy for us to create segments um, and personalized emails based off of um, customer behavior. Now, having said that, we did what a lot of people do and we ran contests and so we had these contests where we would get you know maybe a thousand emails but out of that thousand most people just wanted the free product they wanted to win and so after they won they didn't care about your little raggedy emails that, that you were sending because they had no intentions of buying anything from you to begin with so once we um, created all of our segments, did a deep, again, we had to do a real deep dive because we use Clavio and Clavio is expensive. So, and they charge you for people on your list. So if you got people on your list that are not buying or not opening, basically they're just costing you money every single month. And so we, we really had to like clean up our list and pay attention to customer behavior so that every single, Every email that we sent out, we got the biggest bang for our buck. And so, you know, in, in Clavio, I'm not sure how it works in some of the other ones, you know, they give you an open rate. They give you a customer purchase, like how much each customer is worth for you. And they pretty much judge you on these metrics. They also judge you on the quality of the emails that you send out. So it's not, if you are using Clavio, you cannot be a lazy kind of email marketer. You really have to pay attention to your numbers. In the end, out of that 40 or 50,000, um, about 50,000 emails we had, I think it was like 47,000 and some change, only about 25,000 of those ended up being long-term customers. And I ended up suppressing the vast majority of the people on the list because again, they were they were basically costing us money every month. So once I got rid of about half of the list, we really had to drill down and pay attention to see when are people buying, what are they buying? And, you know, Clavio connects with everything. So we were looking at both their Facebook behavior, on website behavior and email behavior. And then we created products and bundles based off of the behavior that we saw with our email customers, because I knew that that was going to be um, how we got through the next 365 days while we were trying to figure out how this privacy update was going to affect us long term. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on the website, I saw an SMS pop up as well. So is it also Clavio? 
So my SMS is actually through postscripts. I just felt like Clavio, their their expertise is email. Like they they are the best for product-based businesses. It just doesn't get any better than using them. But for SMS, I wanted a company whose focus was SMS. Our SMS list is about 2,500 people. And for some campaigns, we make more money with our SMS list of 2,500 than we do with our email list. So, but SMS, you know, that's very personal. So you can't send three, four, five, you know, SMS messages to people or they're going to unsubscribe. Whereas you can easily do that with email and they might be irritated, but they'll stay on your list. So our strategy for SMS was markedly different than our strategy for email. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, SMS has a close to 100% open rate, like 90, 95%. Click rate is 10, 20%. It's crazy. It's mm-hmm. much higher than with email. So the per recipient revenue is way higher with SMS than with email. Um, yeah. And Clavio also has SMS. Uh, I understand that you use PostScript. You, you cannot believe how hard Clavio works to be a name in the SMS space as well. There is a big competition there, you know, between these companies. But yeah, I, I get that. I, I tried both platforms, and yeah, I I know them well. Um, now let's talk about uh, you more as a as an entrepreneur, as a person. So you are a first time founder here, and as you said, uh, in your family there are no founders, entrepreneurs, uh, actually similar to me. So that's why I have a few books in the background. I had to learn it from some you know, other people. So for you, what uh, channels, what ways you found to learn about this thing, about business? What was the most useful? Trial by fire. Trial by fire. I tell everybody I went to the school of Google and YouTube. Because I also live in a small town, so there's not a lot of resources here either. And so a lot of how I learned how to do things came from watching YouTube videos of candle manufacturers where I would just literally stop it frame by frame by frame and look at what they were doing. How did they have it set up? What is the flow? How did they have their shipping department in reference to their production? Where was customer service? And I would just, what machines are they using? I would try to, you know, make the picture bigger, you know, trying to scroll in and look and see, can I see the name of the, um, the filling machines that they're using? So it was a lot of just Google and YouTube in the beginning, learning how to do things. I also spent an, an, an incredible amount of money, and by spent, I mean wasted, um, an incredible amount of money with people that said that they could set up the warehouse, that they could put in um, this great shipping software. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars where we ended up just going back to like a, Excel spreadsheet and counting like um, so a lot of it was just trial by fire just learning coming in here every day you know a lot of times people be like oh I, I can be an entrepreneur and I'm like listen you got to be super smart this is not something that anybody can come and do I know everybody loves to say anybody can be an entrepreneur but anybody cannot be an entrepreneur because there is so much that you as a founder have to know 
either you have to know it or you have to um, hire people around you that are smart enough to know it. And if they're smart enough to know it, then they're going to come with a smart enough to know it price tag. And a lot of times new businesses cannot afford the best and the brightest because that you, you just don't have the budget to do it. And so you have to literally learn how to do everything. So I had to learn how to be an accountant. I had to learn the basics of bookkeeping for a small business. Then I had to learn production, like COGS, cost of goods. Like you have to have a deep understanding of that. So if you're weak with your numbers, you're probably never going to be profitable. Then I had to learn manufacturing. And there's a lot to manufacturing. Like there are people's job who go in and just set up best manufacturing practices. Then I had to learn the law because I'm sending out products that can literally burn somebody's house to the ground. So I had to understand the legal implications that came along with creating a product and having a brand because I've been sued and went after somebody. Then I had to learn shipping. Shipping in itself is a whole beast because you got UPS, FedEx and the postal system and each one comes with pluses and minuses that go along with it. So you have to learn how to effectively manage that. And don't even get me started with sales and marketing. That is like whole agencies exist for sales and marketing. And so as a founder, you have to have your finger on the pulse of all of those things in order to run your company effectively. And then the people that you have up under you, you have to really manage their behavior to make sure that what they're doing ensures that your company is profitable. So there were a lot of moving pieces and I was constantly learning um, what to do. I think if I had to put my finger on it and say an entrepreneur's a founder's biggest headache is going to be employees. Everything else you can control. You can control your cost of goods. You can control your marketing. Like you can control what platform you're on. You might can't control your reach, but you can say, oh, we're going to do TikTok and I'm going to put out five videos. Employees, baby, they come with a whole set of problems. You just never know. They might show up with their kids because their kid is sick, but they needed the hours. School is shut down, so they couldn't get a babysitter. They're sick. One time we had four people that got COVID and were just out with COVID. Yeah. Like people get other jobs. They just don't show up one day and you'd be like, what happened? And they're like, oh, I got a better paying job somewhere else. Like you, it, I know I'm ranting. Let me stop. Employees, HR, that's going to be somebody's biggest headache. They need an HR person. Yeah, I, I maybe you scared a few people now <laughs> after all of these. I'm sure there are positive things left. Yes, as well. and there are a lot of positive things that happen when you run a business. But the problem is nobody talks about the bad stuff. And then when you get in it, you'd be like, wait a minute. Like nobody actually said that this was going to be a problem. Nobody told me that I needed to know this. They just said, oh, anybody can do it. So everybody thinks that it is easy to do until they actually get in it. 
there is a reason that 90% of small businesses fail. And it's not because they are incapable of being successful. It's because they had unrealistic expectations going in. And when they ran into the obstacles and the roadblocks, they didn't know what to do because they had no idea that they were coming. A lot of people just really believe that this is just easy. And it's not. There are a lot of challenges that come along with it. And we need to start having an honest conversation about those challenges that come along with running a small business. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, let's close this with something more uh, motivating. What okay. would you tell to those who want to be entrepreneurs? And uh, I hope now they are more aware of the challenges. After I think, I think everybody literally everybody should have a side hustle. I think everybody should have a side hustle. I think everybody should have an alternate way of making money. I even have an alternate way of making money. My main money maker is my candle company. My second money maker is my mentoring program. So I started mentoring because I was like, you guys need to know the truth about running a business. It is very challenging. And so I think that everybody needs some level of entrepreneurship in their life. It teaches you about money in a way that working for somebody will never, you know? So as long as you got to just get up and go to work and you never have to think about money, where does it come from? How does it exist? How does it flow? You know, you, there's a kind of disconnect between it. But when you get out there and you are basically, you you eat what you kill, yeah. it makes you look at money a little bit differently. It also makes you look at your job a little bit differently. Some cases, it'll make you appreciate your job a little bit more because you go, mm, I don't want to be the one out there being responsible for the checks, you know, or sometimes it will motivate people to be like, hey, I can go out there and do this on my own. I don't need to depend on somebody else to sign my check for me and get me paid. So I think that every single person really needs a side hustle. The The problem is I don't think that everybody needs to turn their side hustle into their main hustle. Some people just need to keep their side hustle on the side and as a way to supplement their income. But we live in a time where everybody wants more, 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 bigger, 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 or sometimes having a side hustle that brings in two or three thousand dollars per month is all that you need really to live your best life and you don't need to be chasing after those five six and seven figure months yeah 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 i agree and uh i think the whole ecosystem is is going into this way right that people they are more independent employees uh and they can get they, they can start around things and uh yeah, I can see a good tendency here. Also, people, they are becoming location independent in more and more jobs. So I think we have this trend and I think that's great. Um, yeah. If anyone wants to find your brand and your mentor program, where they should go? Uh, the the brand is Southern Elegance Candle. You know, I love to say, just Google me. Because <laughs> I'm on that level now. When you Google me, everything comes up. But yeah, so my brand is Southern Elegance Candle Company, and you can just Google that. And my mentoring program is uh, drussellconsulting.com. So drussellconsulting.com. And it's basically a, a program that takes you through every single thing that you need in order to build a successful e-commerce business. 
Amazing. We will put these links into the description so our listeners, they can find these. And thanks a lot for uh, joining us today, sharing your story. Thanks everyone who listened to the podcast or watched the live stream. There is one more link I put into the description that's from my company. So we collected the top 100 email templates that we created in the past seven years and we made this available for everyone. So check that out as well. And thanks again, everyone, and uh, have a wonderful day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me.